Hello, Nevadans. This is the NV Politics Podcast, where we discuss political hot topics throughout the state of Nevada to keep you informed on what's going on. We're your hosts. I'm Dominique Labonte. And I'm Tim Hannafin. And we're recording this episode of NV Politics on October 4th, 2023. So let's get into it. Woo-wee! Um, we have a little bit of news, and I'm actually looking forward to talking about some of this stuff today. Yeah, I mean it's it's been it's been some time. It's been some week. Things yeah. have happened. Yeah, both here and afar. That's right. We have two um, items for our rehash that we're gonna just quickly talk about today. A little bit about teachers. We're gonna talk about. That cyber hack in the casinos, which we uh, briefly touched on for a broke my brain, Tim did previously. For our main content, we're going to talk about foreclosure rates in the state of Nevada, as well as a whole bunch of laws that are going uh, in effect on October 1st, which was three days ago from our last legislative session. And then we'll get into our broke our brain. So with that, Shall we jump into the rehash, Tim? Yeah, yeah. Our teachers. It sucks that we keep having to talk about this, but uh, some of them still ain't getting paid. Yeah. So I don't have all the details. I think you you know more about this, Tim, around the agreement that did occur for teachers of Washoe County, right? They completed their negotiations. 20% increase for them. That's what I thought it was. And, you know, we were bummed that it wasn't the 25% that the police got, but it's still, it's it's 20%. So I believe that's also incrementally, right, over a, a few-year period? I, I hope not, but... <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Uh, Clark County is still in negotiations, Apparently, they were close to a deal that I think was between like 17 and 18 percent increases. And then the CCSD was like, "Nah, we want that 20 percent, too. And so they're holding out and they're still in negotiations. Hopefully they get that all wrapped up soon. There's no reason that Washoe County can settle on the 20 percent and Clark County cannot, you know, like, let's just make it happen for for both counties. Our state got enough money. We can we can pay our teachers as well as the cops. Yeah, I agree. Our next rehash topic was the MGM and Caesars hack. Well, which... and those are good. We we have to be careful because those are two separate hacks that occurred. Okay. The Caesars hack was a hack that didn't occur because they paid the ransom. Right. The MGM hack occurred. Because they didn't want to pay the yeah. ransom. <laughs> yeah, and that that that's the key distinction of like th- those are two separate hotel companies or two separate mm-hmm. entities, mm-hmm. and you know one of them they were more or less out of commission for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they both happened in the month month of September, correct? Yes. And really, the casinos and the resorts they. They did not want publicity uh, on this as they normally like to sweep any negative publicity under the rug. 
because they want people to continue to come. But it was a big deal, apparently. Well, you know, you and, couldn't and, uh, even uh, use the slot machines. <laughs> but it, it, that's one of the points that I want to address when it comes to what happened here was this was so swept under the rug that it wasn't reported on until after the fact, unless you were following social media heavily. A couple implications with that, you know, people's vacations were ruined. Mm-hmm. Like... And it's not in the sense of like, oh, they didn't get to go to Vegas. No, they went to Vegas because they didn't know that, you know, the resort they were going to was a being desolate, hacked. yeah, a desolate hellhole from the 30s that like didn't have keys. Yeah. And, you know, they, oh, crud, my whole vacation's ruined or like, you know, a substantial part of it or I have to find other accommodations or things like that. But this has happened with every major company and there's a specific line in one of the news reports that just kills me where Caesar says, Oh, we paid the $15 million ransom, but it's not going to affect our bottom line for profit at the end of the year. Interesting. I didn't remember seeing that last part of that line. Yeah. That, that was one of the quotes in there, but what pisses me off about this is what about all the people whose information is now compromised? Employees, customers, yeah. yep. like, Every single time there's a large corporate hack, the corporations that really just suffer an upfront monetary harm or a monetary slap or whatever it is, like mm -hmm. they pay the money and they move on. Mm -hmm. But the customers aren't informed until in some cases, at least here, I'd say this is the most timely informing of a large data breach I've ever seen because it happened to a casino. <laughs> Normally, when, you know, a large insurance company is hacked, it takes them four to six months to release it to the public. Yeah. When customer information is breached during a large gaming hack, it takes almost a year for the company to release what information was released or what right. information was lost. This is time where customers' personal information are arguably uh, personal or what's it like... Uh, private protected information or information that can be used to actually track them in some beyond just a, a public way can be compromised. And yet people aren't informed timely enough a, until after the fact. Yeah. And in this case, it says specifically that uh, to your point, Tim, customer data from their loyalty programs was stolen and yeah, employee information, their social security numbers because of their payroll information was taken. So that's devastating. And thousands of people work in these casinos. Yeah. And I guarantee you at most the casinos may offer a year of life lock, but it's like, that's not going to make up for the fact of like, no, you've compromised my identity for the rest of my life. Right. Your, your shit's on the black web forever now. Like <laughs> that, that's one of those things where, and, and the car, they're, they're just brushing their hands because it was actually just a, no, no, no. We have to make sure that people keep coming here and can gamble and like, Oh no, no. Yeah. Our tables are still open. And it's like, but just pay like, the ransom. <laughs> well, and, and that's, that's the other point of it's gotten to the point where I'm using the police analogy, but there was an arms race for the longest time where, Cops would buy better guns and then, you know, the robbers would buy armor. So, mm. And then the rob robbers would buy better guns. So the cops had to get better armor. And like, mm. there's this constant arms race of the mm -hmm. gun and the armor. Mm. And when you look at our cyber world, we've lost the race because corporations aren't willing to pay enough. Yeah. They're not willing That's to fair. pay 
a million dollars a year. So now they're paying $15 million whenever they fucking need to because, oh, well, you know, it's a smaller drop in the bucket instead of paying the million dollars a year and also protecting all of that customer data. Like they could pay their IT departments a competitive wage. And when I'm saying a million dollars, like that's a competitive budget for a good IT department that has the training to counter these types of attacks. But they're not paying that, which makes these people run these fucking attacks. Like, they're saying it was done by some younger kids or a younger generation of hackers. And it's like, well, yeah, because you're not fucking paying them enough to defend your ass. So they're going to extort you out of the money instead. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So there were a couple of things here with what you're saying so there is a gentleman named gus fritzy i'm sure i'm messing that up but he's the senior vice president of bulletproof which is a cybersecurity firm that's owned by new jersey-based gaming laboratories international apparently they're the lead gaming equipment testing firm and are there specifically for security but There's this line that says national report suggested that these cyber attacks were probably carried out by teens and young adults who have allied themselves with one of the world's most notorious ransomware gangs. Uh, And this is part of a trend that has alarmed security experts and defenders of corporate computer networks. To your point, yeah, you got kids just exploiting these bad loopholes in security around some of these things and it's wild. It, the, it's it's well known in the cybersecurity industry that the the second best computer hackers in the world work for the U.S. military, but the first best are all private freelancers who are ransoming the shit, and yeah. it's because corporations aren't paying enough to get the right people, and I'm I'm gonna just keep saying that, and I'm kind of pissed off about it because. <laughs> Not only did they pay fifteen million, but they paid fifteen million, and it's a drop in the bucket for them. Yeah. Not equating the cost of you know like oh you might have lost a couple high rollers because they're not coming back, but like oh well you know it saves us money because we're not having them to comp shit at the end of the day, and it's like yeah, you care about your customers a little bit more, like well, actually fucking care. You were talking about being a drop in the bucket. Um, so I just quickly did some Googling Caesars entertainment, right? Who paid this ransom? What was it? 15 million, 30 yeah, million, 15 something million like that. Is what it... Yeah. Caesars entertainment annual gross profit for 2022 was $5.8 billion. So drop in the bucket to your point. Yeah. And like, and even more drop in the bucket is if they paid their IT department a competitive fucking salary just to prevent it from happening to begin with. Yeah. So you never even get to the point where you're having to pay the ransoms. The These corporations are instead of sitting at their, you know, their ivory towers. Well, no, at this point they are just ivory towers. They're not yeah. even real castles. <laughs> and they're just sitting in ivory towers thinking it's a castle and saying, oh, well, you can't touch us. And then a cannonball penetrates the tower and they're like... <laughs> Just give them money. We can pay to fix it. Yeah. And it's like, but build the fucking castle so when they shoot the cannonball, it just bounces off instead. Yeah. Yeah, they got to invest in that stuff. Yeah. And and they just, they're not. And it's the public who pays for this, right? It's our data that's stolen. 
Anyway, yeah. all right. So yeah. that was just a rehash. So for our main topic, so there was a Nevada Independent article that was shared on September 26th. It said Nevada has the highest. Hey, look at us. We're number one again. Nevada has the highest foreclosure rate in the nation. <laughs> I know it's not the kind of number one we want. That, yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the joke. Hey, we have the highest. Uh, we have the highest child mortality rate in the country. We're number one. We're doing the best. We're number like, one. <laughs> oh my God! No, okay. we are. <laughs> so the way that you want to say that is that we are in last place for the amount of home sales successful in the country. Yes, I know. I'm just being facetious. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so according to this article, there's a company called Adam, which is a curator of real estate data. They released a report, again, that ranked Nevada as the top state for foreclosures in August. And apparently... Oh, shit. <laughs> well, hey, look, Nevada was number eight for the quarter prior. Um, however... No one could buy a house. <laughs> like, yeah. everything's... <laughs> I know. It says, although foreclosures filings were up 7% in August compared with July, housing experts don't anticipate foreclosures to continue to climb in Nevada or anywhere else in the country. Uh, But then says later in the article that the wave could have been due to a jump in homeowners falling behind on their mortgages or could or it could have simply been bad timing, basically. So I... I have what? concerns. What uh, yeah, the fuck? Did I you know just... exactly. What? Uh huh. So I don't understand the rose-colored glasses on this scenario that that the author or the people that they were interviewing. Oh no, no, no. the the rose-colored glasses from the author and the people that they're interviewing is very clear. <laughs> what doesn't make sense is why they fucking have them on because these aren't just your normal rose-colored hippie glasses. These are like the thick-ass glasses your grandma was wearing <laughs> that could pick up cable rose-colored. Like <laughs> the fuck are they looking at here? Mhm. Huh? Yeah people are like the, it's only good for them because oh they're the ones buying the foreclosed properties Pre- foreclosure goes to the banks the banks yeah. can sell it off so banks are happy because they have more crap they, they have more equity but it doesn't help anyone else and as the point i'm at least making is yeah no shit we're the highest in the foreclosure rate because no one can afford houses that's right and this was the you know nevada was hit the hardest in the great recession with the housing bubble right so This is scary when it comes back to reflecting on history here. There are apartments that I'm driving by that I've been driving by since I moved into my current apartment that still are not finished. And that was almost like two years ago. Wild. Uh, Yet, oh, well, why aren't you buying a house? Bitch, I don't have the credit for an (laughs) $80,000 fucking mortgage. Like That's a, a... No, a mortgage is way more than that. Oh, sorry, eight hundred thousand. Sorry, I, I dropped to zero. But I don't have that. I don't have them credit line. Yeah, our our economy is on shaky footing right now, and I'm really interested this month specifically to hear many companies report their earnings over the last quarter because if this is the second quarter in the row where you know our our GDP is going down a little bit we we could be on the heels of this recession that we've been talking about for like two years 
Who knows? Who I don't knows? know. I I keep I keep seeing the reports more and more, and I know we're going off on a tangent here, but it, it, I'm seeing just so much of like it doesn't matter that their profits are down. They've still had ref, record profits over the last five years since the Great Recession, especially yeah. during COVID. And yet they're the only ones reaping the benefits of it. We're only going into a fucking recession because they're not paying the lower people enough to survive. Mm -hmm. They're still making the money. They're still putting it away. They're mm -hmm. still putting it into the bank. They still have the coffers. And yet they're like, well, why aren't people buying products? Like, why aren't you buying our $500 thing that we made? Like, come on. You, why the can't you buy this? The bottom 60% can't afford it. I, I wasn't fully an adult for the last recession, but I felt like the last recession was made, was manufactured by Wall Street. This one is just manufactured by greed. Yeah. There well, isn't it, a... It was... A, the, the last oh, one yeah, was yeah, also yeah. But, greed, right? But it was, the, it was Wall Street greed. It was bank greed. Like there was... And yeah, but there were, there was a specific group of, of organizations that we could point to in 2008 and say, this was mostly your fucking fault. Now, I'm just kind of looking at it and I'm saying, is it our fault for not standing up? Like, Yeah, at some point someone's got to give here. Well, but, I, and, I, and I almost feel like, is it, are we playing victim of saying like, oh, well, I mean, I guess it's because we didn't stand up. Like, it's a two-way street. And that's, I guess, the other point that I'm saying. Like, it takes as much of us standing up and saying this is wrong and also yeah. corporations kind of, oh, I don't know, opening up their eyes and realizing a CEO doesn't need a million dollars a day. That's a little bit unreasonable of a pay. Yep. Let's jump in to a, a more positive. Yeah, I'm not going to rant about this one. <laughs> okay, cool. So this is actually going to be kind of a, a really high level overview. So we're in October, like we already said, it's October 4th and um, it's my favorite month. It's my anniversary month when I got married. It's the best weather. Uh, it also happens to be when 106 new Nevada laws take effect, which was October 1st, so three days ago. And we're just going to quickly recap a couple. Uh, okay, we said, I already said there's 106. I wrote down three. All right, I want three. a summary I wrote down of three. all 106. Let's <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah, that's not happening. I am going to Mexican food after that, uh, after this. And so we're going to stay on task here. So one of the first ones that I thought was really interesting that actually goes into effect, that just went into effect, I should say, was SB 225. Uh, titled Cannabis for Cops. And basically, uh, and this is all from a Nevada Independent article, by the way. It says it prohibits law enforcement agencies from barring prospective peace officer applicants for using cannabis prior to submitting their job application. This is a really big deal. I have personally known some people who literally their life dream was to be a cop. But if they had ever used marijuana, they ask you if you have and if you say you have, you're automatically disqualified. You cannot continue to pursue being a cop. And so this this was a really big deal, and I thought it was cool. I didn't even realize that this was a law that was passed. So SB 225. Do you have I'm, any thoughts I'm on actually, that? I'm surprised it passed. Um, the conspiracy theorist jokester in me is <laughs> like, wow, I bet you Lombardo smoked that ganj or something. Because like... <laughs> 
why else he had to sign let, it <laughs> yeah why else would he let this bill go through and yet he acts like half of the other ones that made sense for cops like i i'm not saying that i don't support this one because i do yeah but it doesn't make sense that he allowed it to happen that's it, my only thought. Yeah, it, I mean, it does, but it doesn't. I think there's a couple things. No, no, no. It, it does if we're talking about a normal governor that makes sense. We're uh-huh. talking about... Lom- no, so I'm saying Bar- why it makes sense for Lombardo to do this, or I think are a couple reasons. First off, this this law, I'm sure, prevented a lot of candidates from pursuing this. And so if we're saying that Nevada has a police shortage, which it does, uh, then this is removing a barrier to gain more access, right? And so I think if he has been in the industry as he has, then he he knows that. And so I, I can see why he would do that. And maybe also like he knows that there are probably plenty of cops who do use marijuana and... He's just like, this is irrelevant at this point. You know what I mean? Like, it's illegal in the state. Let's just get rid of this. So there's that. The next one is SB 368, which is the removal of racist covenants from housing documents. And so I just thought this was interesting. Apparently, there were some researchers from UNR who were able to estimate that there are thousands of of these covenants in Washoe County where housing documents still include racist uh, covenants that forbid non-white people from living in certain communities or buying homes. So, you know, back in the day, it was called redlining. It was a thing. And apparently some of their remnants that still exist. You know, we talk about how we got rid of Jim Crow laws. No, that shit was deep <laughs> in places. And so this is a cool uh, law that was passed effective October 1st that basically requires county recorders to remove the racist covenants from new housing documents at zero cost. Well, I mean, they're they're maintaining them for historical value. It's kind of a double-edged sword that I'm seeing, and I'm kind of seeing it more and more. This is important, but how important is my question? Yep. Because they're not, they're not parts of the documents that are actively being enforced. Sure. They're not actively being policed. They are a, a racist f- afterthought of our state. And I'm not saying that dealing with racist afterthoughts is not important. Mm-hmm. But there might arguably be some more pressing issues that we can also address. Well, remember, we're only talking about three of the 106 bills that are going into effect. I know, I know, I know, I know. This is, of course, one of many others that were also proper steps in racial equality and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I say it's, it's a... Catch twenty two for me because I'm like I see it as good, but I'm also like yeah, but there are other things too. Oh yeah, the, I mean there's a hell of a, a lot of other things. Um, here is the the last bill that we were just gonna really quick review. AB 404, which was medical malpractice lawsuit changes, and essentially what this does is for 
Those who have injuries or even a wrongful death caused by medical malpractice on or after October 1st, a plaintiff will have up to two years after they discover this rather than one year to bring forward a lawsuit. Obviously, you can't do that if you're dead, but I assume by your family members, if they're wanting to pursue something like that, um, which I I think is great. You know, I the, the one thing that I'll say with this you know, I know I knew a young person who was having seizures and he had to get a, um, I think it was an MRI or a CAT scan. He had to scan his brain, basically. It took, I think, seven months to get an appointment with a neurologist just to read him his results. And so how can we expect anyone to have the evidence to confirm or pursue malpractice if it's likely they're not even able to get the information that they need in a reasonable time frame. So I, I think this is a good thing. See, and I, I'm actually taking the whole other side on this. Okay. Because when I heard this, it? I was like, this is really bad. Why? Um, United States is the only country that has malpractice insurance and malpractice the way that it does because we allow things like pharmaceutical kickbacks. We allow mm -hmm. unrightful influence on doctors, and oftentimes doctors are not working for the patient in front of them, but they are working for themselves. And it's because of this that we have things like malpractice. Sure. Malpractice is also one of the main reasons why our, law, our, our doctors cost so much. Yep. Because malpractice insurance costs so much in this country. Well, you probably wouldn't need it if they weren't being led by other routes, like you just said. The yes, yeah, and, and that's where they're... This is where I'm, I'm actually willing to have this argument and kind of mm -hmm. die on this hill, but <laughs> there are bigger issues that need to be solved in our medical industry. We don't oh, need yeah. to be bogging down our legal practice with more malpractice because we're opening up more chances for more lawsuits. We need to be going after drug manufacturers who give kickbacks. We need to be yeah. going after yeah. the doctors who are just blatantly doing the bad practices so that we don't need to have malpractice for the great little mom and pop doctor who's actually trying to read those neurologist results totally. and they just can't because they're so bogged down by the process. Like we as a country really need to interrogate our medical system. Oh, yeah. I, because I don't disagree. there are so many examples of the systems working better in so many other goddamn countries, and yet we have to say, well, no, I mean, let's, let's just, you know, solve it. Let, let's keep making the problem worse instead of solving the problem. And that, <laughs> that's where I'm like, you shouldn't allow for a longer time to pursue malpractice, you should be addressing why the malpractice exists. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that for sure. I think th this is, <laughs> we've said this a lot, right? While this law is beneficial, I think in some circumstances, it's not addressing the root of an issue, right? Of a bigger problem. Uh, and to your point, I definitely think that, you know, our entire healthcare system needs to be addressed. But that is a whole other topic. And so with that, we're going to jump into what broke our brain this week. So my broke my brain. At this point, everybody's probably heard about this, but Kevin McCarthy, the 
uh, House Speaker. The inspiration for House of Cards. (laughs) Who he was the uh, House Speaker for the Republican Party, faced a historical first for our nation and was ousted as Speaker by a vote, man, oh, I don't have the the vote tally here in front of me, but... 216 to 210. Oh, thank you. Yes, you're right. 216 to 210. Democrats did not save this man, okay? And I just can't help but wonder if McCarthy thought that he was going to have just, just a couple of votes on the Democratic side to save him. Here is the thing that I kind of foresaw a little while ago, and I'm not going to say that any Democrat has come out and said this publicly because they haven't, but I guarantee you this is what's happened. Prior to this coming up, the eyes were not on Joe Biden to negotiate with the House. It was not on Chuck Schumer or the Senate Democrats to be working with Republicans to figure out how to get this going. It was on House Republicans. Yep. No one in the media was talking about any other group in the government. It was just how House Republicans were fucking up this effort to get a a budget passed. Even the Senate got one passed because they were trying to save the ass and the House Republicans wouldn't vote on that. Mm -hmm. Every single, like, if the government shut down, the only people to blame would have been House Republicans. Yep. And that would have been a horrible calculation for them going into 2024 because they are yeah. like they're so close to that majority. They don't want to risk losing any seats. And this put a lot. Of, this was real bad because yes. they were going to get blamed. Yeah. So there is a, a great article by Time and it was posted on October 3rd. They basically share where the House Minority Leader, Hakeem Jeffries, acknowledged that this was a House Republican civil war and that they needed to figure out how to govern, uh, basically saying that they haven't been able to, which I think is true. And since McCarthy made Democrats no concessions in that 11th hour deal, they voted to oust him along with the eight Republicans. Uh, In the end, no rank and file Democrats felt moved to help McCarthy or his party get out of the mess of their own making it's because it also falls back on them like it's not yeah no one's blaming the democrats for mccarthy losing his chairship despite them being a vast majority of the people who voted for it like (laughs) let's let's talk about that like when you look at the voting numbers only eight of them were not or nine of them were not like Mm -hmm. that yeah okay that's less than like five percent yeah yeah, of a, the votes. Yep. That is a, a tough and loss yet, for sure. <laughs> no one is talking about the fact of more than 95% of the people who voted him out were Democrats because no one cares. No, because it's ultimately, it's his, his own op- party that yep. opened up the vote. So it didn't matter. Okay. So he can't keep his house in order. So this is the last thing I'll say. And then Tim, I'll let you jump into your broke my brain is uh, something that terrifies me is that supposedly Jim Jordan put in a bid to run for speaker, which is terrifying to me because he, there are so many things. I don't want to let this rant continue. So I'm just going to say, if you don't know who the hell Jim Jordan is, number one, I'm surprised you might be sleeping under a rock. If you really, truly don't, look him up, see some of the things he's done and represented because it's wild. 
and uh, he he's actually trying. Isn't he overseeing the uh, the committee with the House investigation against Biden? Correct. Yeah. So anyway, l- look up Jim Jordan. I really hope he does not become the speaker because he is an asshole. All right. With that, (laughs) Tim, what broke your brain? So mine is very close to home. You know, some of the at least big news in the Reno area recently. Some of our listeners might have heard it. Some of it might not have been. But GSR recently made a very large announcement about a $10 billion investment that they're putting into the community. Yep. They are getting $10 million of private funding to build a new sports stadium, conference center, and it looks like Top Golf Arena. Oh, okay. In, yeah, like I, I can't fully tell by the rendering, so some of what I say might not fully be accurate because I wasn't able to actually listen to the press conference. I'm going off of the renderings and news that I was able to find. I'm really excited to hear about what part of this broke your brain. <laughs> so I, your brain, I think, will break at my fourth point. But Oh, my I, God. How many points? <laughs> I, I have five. What really killed me about this, because I, I just kept getting the news. And, you know, the first the first one that I was thinking of was I go back to students. And I go back to especially some students that are close to, close to home for myself. You know, I've got, I've got fraternity brothers who are still actively on campus. And hate to say it, but they like to drink. Some of them like to underage drink. And how are they going to safely get from campus to the stadium for a game? Oh, but student transportation will be offered. How? <laughs> like, uh, like you don't have that many student buses, in okay. my opinion. But then, two, I also know the tragedy of student uh, student transport is, oh, guess what? If you're inebriated and they can tell, they just boot your ass off. Like oh. they don't take you anywhere. I've had, I've had fraternity brothers get abandoned in the middle of Reno, in the middle of nowhere because what? of that policy. Yes. Wow. That is their policy, which is why I'm vehemently against university transportation because they're not there to help students. They are there to appear to help students. <laughs> okay. What's your next point? Uh, and it's, that's not the part that broke my brain. Oh, Okay. The second point that didn't break my brain is that this new stadium will be a 10,000-person stadium with emphasis on VIP and box seating. So it will be a a better seating experience than is offered at Lawler, which is just shy of a 12,000-person stadium. So not only are they going to be going to a smaller stadium, but they're going to a smaller stadium with more exclusive seating, meaning that there will be either a smaller student section smaller general admissions, or a mixture of both. Okay. But that that's that wasn't what broke my brain. <laughs> Third would be the parking, because, you know, to build this new complex arena, top golf stadium, and everything else in the GSR area, mm-hmm. they're currently tearing up the whole south, southern half of their parking lot. Okay. RV park. Yeah. And only replacing it with what looks to be a three-story parking garage in the north middle part of their parking lot. So we're already going to not not only be competing with general casino admitting for, you know, sporting events where they have one of the largest sports book that they just redid in Reno. Mm -hmm. So they try and draw a lot of general crowds to their general casino for sporting events and for UNR events. So UNR fans will have to compete with that to get there. (laughs) This is the point where I think you broke, your brain will break because I heard this this morning. 
Only the men's basketball team will be playing at said sports complex. I didn't so, know that. So Lawler will now exclusively be used by the women's complex, which I would have loved to see the actual interview with the female head coach because the one that I read, it seemed like she was just holding back everything she wanted to say. Wow. Because to me, being a fan, I hear this and I'm saying, okay, so why don't we just take a couple million dollars and actually just improve Lawler and make it better? Yeah. It's a great stadium that has larger seating than the prior stadium. It just doesn't have the the best concessions. That's okay. really, in my opinion, the only thing Lawler's missing. Other people say, ah, it needs better parking. But as I just kind of highlighted, I think the parking at GSR will be equally as troubling. Sure. Whatever. But, oh, nope. Only the men are playing there. Yikes. We have yet to, I, I don't know the last time we filled a stadium since we had Eric Musselman as the head coach because we have this problem of not getting good basketball coaches. <laughs> and when we do, we lose them very quickly because we don't pay them enough because we refuse to pay them a competitive wage. Sure. So we can't that get tracks. a team <laughs> that excites the both student population and general community enough to show up to the games on a mm. largely consistent basis. Okay. But none of this is what broke my brain. Okay, what was it? <laughs> the community response. Which was? Everybody loves it. Yeah, I'll tell you why everybody loves it. No, the only, well, like, <laughs> the only people that I saw have the complaints were a couple alumni like myself, mm -hmm. and they were immediately shut down <laughs> by larger members of the community for every complaint that I've made. And I get it. It's, you know, a larger stadium up here, but we can spend a lot less money and probably do just as much give but we're GSR, not. That's give the, GSR point. the stadium. It's privately like, funded. No, no, no. But here's the other thing. We're fucking over the girls team then because they're still playing yes, in the I, shitty ass stadium I agree that they with have. You. Like, I don't disagree with that. But this is this is what broke my brain about this because I, I heard a little bit about this story. When I saw that it was privately funded, a whole new stadium, all I could think was they did it right. They're not t taking our tax dollars to build this thing that w we don't want. Well, guess what? If someone else is going to pay for it, I guess we'll take it. <laughs> I, yes, but I'm also fearful of what it will mean on the back end. Sure. Like, oh, you know, UNR basketball has to use exclusive, like they have to start mm -hmm. going to the GSR for every game and they have to start taking rooms out for every game. Like, do and I hate the trope of student athletes like not staying on campus nights or days before games. I'm sorry, it's the nerd in me. <laughs> like when I heard that, you know the the only reason why West Point allowed it was because it's harder to get ready for a game in the environment of West Point. I kind of was like, okay, yeah, that tracks because hazing. Uh, or, you know, it's just, they have a different, like, regimen at West Point where, you know, a cadet's working from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. at night. And that's sure. how they're, it's harder to prep for a game in that environment. Yeah. So that was the only time that I was like, oh, yeah, it makes sense that their football team gets the night off before. Yeah. But they get the night off before. And yet 
you know, other football teams, other basketball teams, they're spending days, weeks in hotels up leading right. up to games. And I'm just sitting here like, okay, well, now that they're playing at GSR, I mean, fuck, are they ever going to leave GSR? Like, <laughs> shit, are they ever going to go to class? Like, I, I'm so, <laughs> like, well, I, we'll see, I guess, you know, it's a one day at a time, play it by ear. I, I don't I don't care that it's privately funded. I'm angry about it. I'm I'm like legitimately angry because you know, well, oh yeah, my tickets will cost more as an alumni <laughs> and as a fan. Like I'm not going to be able to go to games as much now because I'm going to have to pay more for some fancy ass fucking tickets and some nice ass stadium. <laughs> but oh no no community loves it. Everyone's happy. Let's just copy UNLV, which we've made fun of its entirety of its fucking existence. Let's just take a page right out of their playbook. <laughs> Clearly, you're a passionate alum, so um, I can respect that. Can the news that. keeps rolling now. We're yep. definitely in campaign season, so we're getting in there. You know, we're we're seeing people declare left, right, and sideways. We might have some candidates to talk about next time. It'll be fun. Yeah, that'll uh, be super exciting. Yeah. Well, talk about, not talk to. We'll talk to them in later episodes, but we'll be talking about them. Everything is starting. Yeah, here Things it goes. Moving forward, but hey, come back, listen, we'll have fun. So come back next week. We won't be as angry. Google, Amazon, Apple Music, Spotify, iHeart. Hey, all right. Suggestions can come to... Hello at nbpoliticspodcast.com. See you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hehehehe. <laughs>